I'm Christina Jurekides, and we're committed to making the seemingly impossible possible. We stand at the intersection of the values of humanity with the value of technology. Inspire for Impact, the podcast, is a place where we have conversations with inspirational entrepreneurs, community leaders, and representatives of organisations who are boldly creating a future by design. The good, the bad, the warts, and the inspiration. We're leading the way to be the change we want to see in the world. Conversations that bring to light the magic that is happening on a daily basis all over the globe. And welcome everyone to another episode of Inspired for Impact. This week we are speaking with the dynamic, the pocket rocket, Lisa Leong, who is one of our esteemed faculty. She's an ABC broadcaster and she also is now presenting the new Sunday show, ABC Melbourne. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Christina. Yeah, thank you. It's always great to have you on as well. So the reason that we're talking today is because you now have the title of author that we can add to your ever-growing title, This Working Life. So we're going to talk about um, this project. But before we get into it, uh, can you tell us a little bit of why you got to This Working Life? What, What was the inspiration to create the idea? Where did the idea generate for the book? So the show This Working Life, which is broadcast and podcast on ABC Radio National, was a show that always wanted to ask why, you know, why work, how do we work and ask these big questions. And before COVID, people were interested, but there was always this sense of, ah, but that'll never happen. And an example of that was we did an episode on remote working and we spoke to some CEOs and there was this feeling that, Yes, it's kind of plausible, maybe even possible, but it'll never be the way of working. COVID times, we started being able to ask deeper questions because everything we knew was thrown upside down. Now, with these deeper questions, people started to think about their own careers and actually have the ability to ask themselves about identity and work. And so with these deeper questions, people started to reach out to us and say, you know what, I've been working in the same job for a long time. It all got thrown up in the air. I need to find a new direction. Now, in the show, we couldn't really go deeply into these individual career questions. And so we, you know, I started answering the emails and then I thought, wow, there's a lot here. So um, Arwen Summers, this amazing, wonderful, beautiful uh, person who works for Hardy Grant Books, she approached me and just said, oh, you know, we love your show. Have you ever thought about a book? And that's when we just started a dialogue, Christina, about what could it be? What are those big questions that would be most helpful? And what we found is that it's about, yes, understanding yourself as an individual, but in the context of being a collective of human beings who work, you know, what might these questions be? So we've come up with a book and Hardy Grant focus on nonfiction narratives. So that gave us the inspiration for something which is a little bit different as a workbook or a, it's not really even a business book. It's a book that helps people navigate their career in times of chaos and uncertainty. So that's kind of the genesis of uh, writing this book. And then just before... Um, this all happened, I started collaborating with this amazing uh, writer, journalist and digital producer, Monique Ross. And I just loved working with her. So I cheekily asked her, 
when we were working together and she's talking about our digital strategy for the ABC, I said, oh, look, you know, this is a bit cheeky, but you're such a good writer. Would you ever consider writing a book with me? And she actually said, oh, you wouldn't believe it, but I'm about to resign from the ABC next week. I haven't told anyone yet. You're the first person that I've told at the ABC. I'd love to write a book with you. (laughs) And so that's how it all started, Christine. So a bit spontaneous, right? It's a series of synchronous events, um, as we say. So I I love the fact that the podcast um, has led into and the interviews said this working life because it is a, it is a remarkable title. Um, how have you found the whole co-authorship and how, how has that worked for you both? What's the rhythm that you then got into after you made the decision? That's a really interesting uh, sort of meta experiment in a way, Christina, because we were there we were writing about coming together with others and how you collaborate at work and we were actually experiencing it at the same time. So one of the first parts of the book is to reflect on yourself and um, and your upbringing and, and then identify your superpowers. And so what we realised very quickly is that Monique and I ostensibly look completely different in terms of how we operate in the world. So she is this kind of really chill, grounded, um, you know, she's a forest bathing nature guide. So just really reflective and, you know, me, so I'm just a hundred miles, you know, a minute and energize a bunny. But together that worked really well as writing partners. And I think understanding that, yes, we're different, but actually we're same in the sense that very focused, we're both very diligent, Um, We're both very open to working with others and hearing different voices. And so we've actually, the book um, ended up being quite a blended voice and we're very equal in the way that we approach everything. And so I was actually waking up way too early in the year and part of it was perimenopause, part of it was because I'm an early riser, but I took advantage of that. And so I literally would write, say, between 3am and 6am in the mornings and I would start a chapter and then Mon would come online early say eight o'clock her time because she's in Queensland and then she would sort of look at um, what I'd written and then she would play around with it and then we would sort of go from there and sorry and just before we did the writing you know we did a lot of talking so we'd meet regularly we would share the ideas and say, hey, this is the gist of what I think the chapter is about and what do you think and what are your stories? And so through the book, there's also our personal stories woven in. So that's the nonfiction narrative part, which is that we have our stories. We then went to the world's experts for each of the chapters to have an academic backbone. And then we also spoke to people about their stories to weave them in because nobody is an expert in this. We're all making it up as we go along. So we wanted it to be a squad of explorers, knowing that nobody has the answer and that knowing that as, you know, we need to just ask better questions and bring that curiosity to the whole endeavour. Perfect. Because curiosity is such an important, um, it's it's an important methodology when you're trying to figure out what is best for you, what is best for for the way that you operate. And I think, um, as you say, COVID really turned things 
uh, in different ways. And it, what it did was it made us look at the individual rhythms of people, uh, which is why, you know, the whole idea around how does the working life fit into our individual lifestyles. And as you say, you were getting up writing from three till six. That must have been a remarkably quiet and reflective time for you. What's, when did you decide to write the book? Because at, at time of recording, you're almost about to, to go out and put the book out into the world. Um, how, when, when did this whole process start? So what, what's the timeline for the whole book process from, hey, let's, this is potentially a great idea um, to where you are now? So apparently we were fairly quick because I think we really officially started writing in March and then by it's an in, I love the insight of the publishing world because I had no idea about what was involved and you have sort of quite big lead times. So we were, we're printed in Australia and distributed in Australia. So um, we wanted to definitely do that, which means that we didn't need such a long timetable, but we needed to get the final manuscript in by, it felt like October or maybe November, which is quite quick from March to October. Um, so, and but we started thinking about things, say, from January and there was a lot of, you know, sharing of ideas and thoughts and, and then we just started writing. And when we look back at the early um, chapters, you know, we were trying to find our way. So in terms of collaboration, we used a Google Doc and so we were, I would write something and then we'd have the comments so we didn't have to send lots of emails as well and I think that was really important. And then Arlen Summers would then be able to review our chapters and write her comments in to give us some guardrails and to give us some early feedback. That was so important because then we could tell that when we got to later chapters, um, we would be able to then take on board what Arwen says and they kind of got better and better, we think. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I'm sure they did, but I'm sure you started off with a pretty high, high bar. Um, in terms of research, what apart from the conversations that you had and then decided um, what you were going to do, the context of the book, how you were going to work together, how did you go about doing the, the research behind the book? So you said you went out to some academics. How did that whole process happen for you? So in a way, a bit like this working life, when we were pulling threads and seeing where it went, we then, you know, did our research and one of Mon's superpowers is an incredible researcher. So if I hadn't, so if I'd interviewed them on This Working Life, then we were allowed to sort of take a small portion of that and put that into the book. And then sometimes I would re-interview them as well to get, you know, to go deeper. And then Mon would supplement with her incredible research and then we would also interview um, for the book. So I think there was a lot of um, thinking about things, thinking how might we go deeper on this, then doing interviews and then taking out, you know, the ideas and then putting them into the book. So it's like we have been weaving <laughs> a whole load of things together. And certainly for me, you know, having an academic backbone, the research, the science, as you know, is really important. And so each chapter of the book that's where we went but we also wanted it to be surprising and maybe a delight so you know I never do anything I think without thinking about well actually how might this be engaging for someone or how might we add to the discourse so there are some different concepts in the book 
And actually one of them, Christina, is this idea of who might be in your squad of explorers because there's an opportunity here for this this to be the second renaissance. So acknowledging rose-coloured glasses here after, you know, dark times, the first renaissance emerged, uh, which was a collection of creatives and really diverse people, diverse thinkers. So you had artisans, but you also had financiers, scientists, and philosophers. And I think there's an opportunity here for that to happen again, but it needs to be um, really different fields, I think, to bring something together to create magical moments. And so an example of that is that I came across a beautiful singer-songwriter called Amy Nelson, Little Green. And I came across her when I was emceeing a TEDx Melbourne (laughs) Uh, so it's like a Eurovision song contest, really fun thing that I was doing. And I just loved her stuff so much that we commissioned Little Green through Hardy Grant, the publisher, to actually create a soundtrack for the book, just like a soundtrack that you'd have for a film. It's for the book. And so there are QR codes in the book. And Little Green and, and we, we got together to create some songs that will prime you as you're reading to bring out, yeah, that feeling that, you know, we want you to play around with. It's wonderful. As you say, we've been talking about this time as being a time of the great convergence and it is all different fields. There's no separate silos. Everything is coming together. And I do, I absolutely agree with you. I feel like we're going to emerge out of this with all the best qualities that we can bring to it. And I love rose-coloured glasses because if we're not looking through them, what's the point of looking outwards um, for me in that in that whole sense of creativity? We need to strive to be the best, to create the best humans that we possibly can to create the best societies that we can. So I absolutely love your rose-coloured glasses. Uh, but to bring together all the arts and have that reverence and the philosophy and bring forward all the good things that have happened in the past that make us think, like as... As we've discussed before, the arts are the things that capture our mindsets and capture moments in history. Uh, so I love the fact that you now have a book that is a written page, but it's also audible and it also has, the, has the, um, the enhancement of music and of that creativity. Can you give me an idea, um, what is it in the book? So I imagine that that there were lots of things that surprised you um, along the way, particularly in the, in the way that you went about creating the process. What was it that surprised you the most or one of the things that surprised you the most as you were going on the book journey? Well, I, when I was writing the book, Christina, um, I wanted to share my career as, you know, an example of, you know, the things that I was reflecting on at the time, the fast fails and (laughs) all the raw and messiness of it all. And in fact, you know, we have a life flow exercise where you map the peaks and the troughs of your life and you reflect on any themes that come up. And in fact, we've done the exercise together and you've helped me go deeper on my life flow exercise, which is what I call it. And so we printed, we did them, Mon and I, and we've printed them in the book. And there are some really deep troughs, you know, in the book. And I think what surprised me is I only wanted to reveal as much as would be helpful 
(laughs) for others because it's not meant to be a therapy session in a book. However, what I what I realized and what we've all realized through COVID is that we need to bring our humanness to work. It's really hard to separate work and life. And in fact, I look at work-life balance. And for me, I don't find it helpful because there is no separation. And so <clears throat> I think the biggest surprise was that, you know, these little voices or feelings that I've had around work and life and bringing our whole messiness to work, I think it's really important and it's become critical through doing this book. And so the surprise factor was just how human the book is and that you can't categorize things. And I I wonder whether putting things into boxes, Christina, this is what we do as human beings and it helps us, of course, you know, our brains and the cognitive load, but to sit with paradox it's okay like I I still say I don't know I don't know (laughs) I don't know anything all I have is the questions that I ask and the curiosity and so the book is not meant to be an answer to anything it just asks more questions (laughs) which I absolutely love and the fact is that we are a living experiment every moment of our lives not only in this period of time of COVID for example are we a living experiment of a global pandemic but our lives really are a living experiment we haven't been in this absolute position ever before our perspectives are each and every one of us has a different perspective because we have different socioeconomic different educational different geographical the whole kit and caboodle backgrounds um, and different cultural influences which is one of the topics that we did discuss in a previous um, previous uh, um, podcast that you and I have done together, uh, which is really worth a listen. So please go back, listen to to, um, all the the content that we have created with Lisa. It's quite dynamic, um, as you might imagine. Uh, But it's that whole coming together, as we mentioned before, that whole convergence. Um, So I love the fact that you're asking more questions and that is the inspiration for imagination, which takes us to the next step. Uh, Let's just go back a little bit with the the whole timeline of the book. So I'm very envious. I've been writing a book for six years (laughs) and I think it's going to get to the publisher maybe this year and it's very much around failure, success, entrepreneurship, et cetera. Um, But the the whole, the fact that you wrote from March to October uh, and then had it at the publishers, what was the process after that? So the book goes to the publisher. The publisher's been, you know, you've had the editor making comments and everything Uh, along the way you're working together you're co-authoring what was the next step after like there was a draft there was a how do you go out and get people to to comment so that they're putting something in the forward or like what's that process as well because that's very integral to writing a book here's another thing about mon's superpowers so very early on she created a gantt chart now for people who don't know a gantt chart it's like when you project manage very large uh, projects then you have these sort of timelines and dates and uh, and what you need to do by when and she created a gantt chart for all of our chapters working back from the timeline for the book so you know when you have a publisher for a book they actually give you a little handbook and in the handbook, it gives you the dates of the big milestones. So very far out, you're already thinking about long form sort of marketing or, you know, publicity and all the things that have to line up to get the book into booksellers or bookshelves, right? 
So she had put all these milestones in and then we'd sort of went to the um, various people to say, okay, so where will you put your bits in? And, you know, especially when you've got a soundtrack for a book, there's a, we just made it even more complex. So we had this Gantt chart and I think that's why, you know, I was waking up regularly and, and we were working on chapter after chapter because it was pretty relentless. But with that, we knew that the pressure was on from the kind of from the beginning and then we just got into a pattern. And so that was the writing part. And then it then goes to, you know, sort of fine editing. So once you've got your raw manuscript, then it will go to someone who is literally looking at things and saying, hey, by the way, you've referenced something that never actually eventuates. <laughs> and, you know, all of those great edits. And what I would say that was a surprise in terms of me learning about the process is, we gave or we submitted our first draft and I thought we would have more time to change things. And I don't know whether it was, it was because we were highly collaborative at the start, but there weren't a lot of big changes, Christina. So it was both exciting and frightening because our first draft actually became nearly finalised and the pressure, like from that moment when we put in that first draft, it was go, go, go. So it was like, we need your comments here. We need you to change here. So every Sunday, every Saturday, because that was the only day I had free, Mon and I would jump on Zoom and we would go through every single chapter and then we would celebrate at the end of every chapter, you know, and then she would write new things or we would change things and it became fun. And here's another thing about, I think, book publishing, or this is what I found helpful, let me just say, <laughs> was enjoy the process. So we had a lot of fun. I just wanted to enjoy the process. There is no goal. Um, if it's helpful for people, that's great. Um, I don't care about, I really don't want to worry about the end results. I'm, because that would be stressful. So I'm just thinking about, you know, am I doing the writing? What am I learning in this chapter? You know, and all along the way. So we were celebrating, you know, the chapters as well. And just a side thought on your life, you know, learning. One of the chapters is about every day is lab day. It's a mantra. So if you think every day is lab day, even in relation to your career, it does take the pressure off because even if you make a false step, you don't need to beat yourself up about it. You go, hmm, how fascinating. I just learned that I hate that. <laughs> I just learned I'm rubbish at that. So I took that every day is lab day relating to writing a book because there are hard parts you know sometimes you know I'm trying to get a thought out and it doesn't work so you can or you know maybe don't get the traction or somebody hates the book I don't know I'm just going to try and remember that mantra um then yeah as I said then you're and then from that moment it stops being intimate so usually it was just me Mon say Arwen and then it it starts going out to more people in terms of you've got these beautiful salespeople who go and talk to booksellers to see if they're interested in the book. You've got marketing, there's publicity, um, then there's a whole range of people who then become involved and they share their superpowers. And we had an amazing illustrator, Julia Murray, who came on board. And so we met with her and talked to her about or you know met each other so we get each other's vibe and then she took our book and made these beautiful illustrations and so it's one of the most illustrated non-fiction books 
really it's like a it's it's really yeah different in that sense as there's lots of pictures but there, there you go. You've extended that whole artistic foray. You've got art in there. Well, you've got the the um, the illustrator. You've got the music. Uh, I, you know, I can't wait to hear the whole. It had the whole experience um, around the book. So the whole thing happens. Partnerships, etc. You mentioned just before we started or hit record um, on this podcast that Audible had been in touch, and then you spent an amazing amount of time um doing the audio record just because I find that to be a fascinating story as well and some of the things that you that you just revealed um in that can you tell our listeners a little bit about that process as well yeah so what I didn't know is that doing an audio book is separate really from publishing a written book and so it is not a given that you do an audio book and you need to sort of negotiate that separately um and so we were fortunate that audible um came on board and were really interested in doing an audio version and it is also it is also not a given that the author will voice their own material for good reason Christina because it's really really tough so I learned so much from doing this and I am a professional voice artist in terms of being a radio presenter but this is a different kettle of fish so the insight is that I needed to record myself reading every single word in the book. And that took five hours a day for four days in a row in um, special studios. So Audible um, are doing it, but actually it was recorded at Square Sound in Port Melbourne. And so here we go, another collaboration. I sort of rode my bike all the way to Port Melbourne, sitting in the both. Um, and working with the wonderful Yen from Square Sound and reading every word. So I'm trained to ad lib and I'm trained to talk, but not read every word. And so when you make a mistake, of course, you have to do it again. And so they play the last part of a sentence and then you keep on going. And I think I, at the start, I wouldn't, I couldn't get through a barely a sentence. And I was thinking, uh oh, poor Yen. <laughs> He's probably thinking, oh no. Uh oh. So anyway, so it, it's very intense. You have to really focus. And I was getting quite a hoarse voice by the end of it as well. So there was all sorts of learning there in terms of um, having to record the book. But absolutely, that's why you need professionals, I think, <laughs> to do the narration. It's a very specific field and you need to completely sort of watch yourself and your energy when you're doing it as well. So let's go back to content of the book. You're writing a book, This Working Life, during a time of great change in the working life. And I know that you said that not much changed um, from the first draft to, to where you went to, but along the way, did, did some of the direction change? Were you finding new things? Like, Just talk us through that because I'm imagining that the concepts um, did change as life changed for everyone. Yeah, so I'm thinking about there were some chapters where I would start, you know, we'd start in a certain way and it just wasn't resonating with the publisher or really with ourselves. And I think work-life balance, you know, that was an interesting one to grow because it's complex. You know, there are new concepts like work-life work integration and I'd explored that in this working life as well. But what emerged 
was a new way of thinking about it. And we called it work-life coherence because, yeah, I do a lot of work on my heart rate variance. And that is, you know, the most recent learnings about health uh, that don't just measure your heart rate, but you measure your heart rate variance. And you actually want it to be a large number, which is that, you know, um, I guess, giving that sense of coherence. And so we went to the world's expert in coherence and HRV. And we, his name is Roland McCrady, Dr. Roland McCrady. And we had this amazing conversation with him, which helped us tease out this idea of work-life coherence. And we think it's potentially a kinder way to look at, you know, this idea of finding a nice cadence in our lives, but knowing that you cannot lock this in, you know, work-life balance has this sense of, hey, you know, I've figured it out. I've got work-life balance, but that's not the way things work because you get thrown things. I mean, we live in chaotic times, you know, you don't have control (laughs) actually of anything. And so with that in mind, work-life coherence is more of this sense of like HRV, um, you can kind of tweak it as you go and you sort of make little adjustments, dial up, dial down. What can I do just to maintain a healthy range? I love that. And the other thing around that whole, what you mentioned before was um, that that whole separation between work and life and also in our work and life personalities. I think that has come to the fore um, in an accelerated way over the last, you know, COVID period, so to, to speak. We are showing up more as ourselves we are given permission to show up more as ourselves the cat can walk across the zoom meeting the partner can walk in the background as long as they're fully clothed um you know the dog can bark as you as mine often does i'm quite surprised they haven't gone off during this interview Um, but it's that whole we are one person and i think that has led to uh hopefully a new awareness around our mental health that we don't need to be too separate people or five separate people however many we don't need to be the friend the parent the worker that you know that we are this um this actual mesh and meld of all the things that we are and we can show up with those as ourselves in our everyday situations how much did that come out or did it come out at all um as you were writing the book i know you know that whole narrative aspect of it allows that to come through but what were your findings around that Oh, so much around, you know, personal and professional identity as well, Christina. There's a story from my radio times. So I got into the Australian film, television and radio school at the ripe old age of 32. So I was one of the oldest. There's 12 of us. And we had a great head of radio, Steve Ahern, who said to us, who will you be when the on-air light switches off? And the reason why he said that to us is in media, as it is in life, you know, one day you will not be in the role that you're in now. And if you identify too closely with that role, whether it be a CEO or a founder or whatever it is, then it's kind of a dangerous place to be because otherwise your whole identity crumbles in that moment when you're not in that job anymore. So the on-air light, you know, shows us when we're recording. 
but it was a symbol for the fact that, especially in media, don't believe the hype. So, you know, I was Lethal Lisa at SAFM, you know, Z-list celebrity, and people knew me as Lethal Lisa. But, you know, when I left that job, you know, I'm still Lisa Leong and I knew that. And so that was really important learning. So there's, you know, just this idea of identity. And then also that even your concept of who you are and your beliefs, it comes from something. And so we did, uh, met this wonderful lady who taught us about how to start analysing the people who have influenced you, particularly your parents, grandparents, other people in your early life and doing a genogram, geneogram. So actually mapping out their concepts of work and their belief systems and being explicit about it and then understanding, oh, that's where that comes from. And so I went through going back, you know, because I'd never done my childhood really in my life flow exercise because I'd said, you know, it's run of the mill, like there's not a lot there, but of course... (laughs) you know, funnily enough, there's all sorts of things that had been instilled in me that absolutely play a part in my life choices and my work choices. And so just understanding where the things come from. So an example of that is I am never late. I'm always early. And that is me or so I thought, but actually, of course, it comes from my dad and just understanding that as a young poor boy in Ampung, his mum was really worried about him being picked up from school. So I asked his brother who had to cycle from far away to get him and was always late. And my dad, who was a little boy of eight years old, he was so scared because everyone had gone home that he used to hide behind the trees and the bushes because he didn't want anyone to see him crying. And so he would stay there and it'd be dark and he'd be alone and he'd be crying. And so he never wanted to do that to anyone else. So he was never late. So of course, as a family, we were never late. Now, all this is, is just to know that this is so ingrained in me. I get quite stressed when I'm late or somebody else is late, but just knowing that's where it came from gives me the ability to hold it lightly in times when it's not helpful. Like if I'm in traffic, Or if I'm running, you know, running to catch a bus or a train, you know, I've had a friend die from running because he was late to something into the path of a car. So just understanding that goes, hang on, is this helpful right now? No, it's not. And it's not my stuff either. (laughs) So I don't need this right now. I love that. I love that, that sense of revelation. And I guess that's what you're meaning throughout the whole book. Um, around it's a narrative experience that's based in in people's reality, in your stories. Uh, the, the book is an absolute gift. It will awaken a lot of people, I think, to have similar realisations um, as you had along the way. And isn't it great that we teach best what we most need to learn uh, is another one of my favourite uh, sayings, which came from a great teacher, Um, I was fortunate to have going through school, actually. Um, Final words for our listeners around the topic of this working life, um, maybe an additional personal revelation or something that you had. What do you want to leave our listeners with this morning? So in the 
book, we have both reflections and then we have a, a lab as well. So it's meant to be, you know, part of uh, coming on board and being our squad of explorers is we want people to interact with the book and with us as we go through this. So at the end of every chapter, there's, you know, something to do. And at the start of the book, it starts with going internal first and then we slowly tinker and then we then open ourselves to the world. And so it starts with reflection and then it goes to lab and we all start doing these experiments together. So I want this sense of, you know, we're all in a lab together. What is your experience? Because this is really helpful for each other to understand. And then because Mon Ross is a forest bathing nature guide, she has written these beautiful sit spots at the end of every chapter and so when she takes you out on a nature walk there's these little reflection pieces and so you sit at the end of every chapter with mon and her sit spots and then you just sort of reflect and so I think this book is you know um, something you take at your own pace and it is to provoke thought so you have the answers within you that's what I believe I love that yeah it's more about that and I would love to actually do a webinar with you maybe in six months time pull a few of the people that have read the book gone through the experiences uh, and have a discussion around their individual responses to the book so I think that might be something that we lock in uh, for later this year so that it is um, that realisation that it is a living journey. And I'm imagining that it's the kind of book that people might be tempted to read two or three times over a two or three year period to see how things have changed for them. So thank you so much for your time. I uh, really look forward to catching up in maybe six months time with a group of people um, and exploring the experience of the book. Thank you. Thanks to your co-author uh, as well. And, you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll, um, we'll hopefully invite them on when we do the webinar. Yes. Well, so, yeah. That'd be wonderful. Thank you so much, Christina. And always really great to chat and tease these things out as well. Thank you, Lisa. So if you've enjoyed this episode of Inspired for Impact, please share it. I think this is uh, one of the highlight self-evolving, self-changing moments um, that you can gift yourselves and gift others so lisa leong pocket rocket dynamo <laughs> an absolute pleasure speaking with you uh, and take care have a good day everybody thank you